Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett. I'm here in the Heartbeat Studio with Jarell Godsey, the president of Heartbeat International. And we have two special guests with us. We have David B. Wright. He is here in the studio in person. He came into town so that he could speak at a banquet tonight. Um, and then we also have Kirk Walden joining us virtually. So we have a, a little hybrid here of our uh, episode recording. And Kirk is in Alabama and he's speaking at a banquet tonight as well. So we caught these two at a good time. And uh, before we get started, I'd like to give a special shout out to Ambassador Speakers Bureau for getting us all connected for this episode as we talk about fundraising events like banquets. And uh, we're right in banquet season. So some of our listeners might be already thinking about who they might want to get to speak at their event next year. So Ambassador represents so many Christian authors, speakers and comedians, and they can help you bring your stories to life for your audience and inspire support for your organization. You can visit their website, ambassadorspeakers.com for more information. So Jarrell, I'll turn it over to you. Let's get started. Thanks, Christine. I tell you, I've been excited for this opportunity, both to have David here in person and Kirk, who I get to interact with on various ways. I usually am inter intersecting with them somewhere else in the country. That's true. So I'm glad to have David here in our, our studio here at the Heartbeat office. And it's always good to connect with Kirk. Now, these guys are amazing in their own right. Not only are they powerful leaders, uh, Kirk's been involved in the pregnancy help movement, I don't know, since the last millennia, as I recall. And um, uh, David has been, uh, he was the founder of 40 Days for Life, amazing story coming out of College Station, Texas, which has taken over the world and uh, gone big things and done many things since then. But both of these guys have been speakers, powerful speakers at banquets, fundraising events, uh, all over the all over the world. I know you, David. You've been. We were just talking about being in Australia and other countries. Mm -hmm. And I know Kirk's been in at least fifty states, maybe fifty-seven, if I uh, remember <laughs> the last count. Uh, but these are oppor opportunities, really, to to get together today to talk about one some things that we should know about banquets. But I think there's some funny stories. I think that there are some stories that you guys have in particular, having had been as many events as you've had. And, you know, some some things that were uh, unintended and some things that were intended. And, and maybe we can talk about how to be intended well, like some key areas. We're not going to take long. We could be doing this for hours. I just I've been looking forward to this. So let's start with Kirk. Kirk, you have you have something to do with something catching fire. And so oh, tell yeah. us that I, story. I, I've always been a fiery speaker, but what happened, I, I've had a couple of things. One, I was, I was in an event one time and I and a candle got knocked over and, and lit up an entire table. So that was exciting. But one that I remember best, I was on a stage and made the appeal. And as I was stepping off, somebody at one of the tables had put the packet of appeal cards over a candle and lit it on fire. And some people began to notice, and there was some murmuring throughout the room. Somebody was going to take that packet, take it outside and put it in a puddle. It was going to be fine. No worries. But I noticed. We're in the appeal. This is, as David will tell you, this is the most important moment of the entire event. And I've got people totally focused on a fire on one side of the room. And so smart boy that I am, I decided to jog back up on stage, tell everybody it's going to be fine. We're all good here. And as I hit the steps to the stage, I realized they're mobile, but not locked in place. And I landed face first onto the stage. And People noticed then, those who hadn't noticed the little fire noticed when the speaker face planted on the stage and just with this terrible crash. And uh, so my knees were killing me. And I just had to tell people, I said, you know, I don't make a great entrance sometimes, but my exit is fantastic. So here I was face planted on the stage and uh, I was down for about two or three days after that. But uh, the pastor got to close the event said, Kirk, I've always had a fear of falling on the stage. He said, you took that away from me tonight. I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> but uh, so I think the key to our events is the appeal. Make it a fiery appeal like I do, and, and we'll all be good. So that's your that's your key is to light the appeal on fire, right? So That's right. Yeah. That's right. Make so sure okay, that, 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 so that it doesn't fall flat on its face. Oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Perfect. That was your Chevy Chase moment, I take it, Kirk, right? Absolutely. And so I'm let's talk of. about the appeal. Like that's, you know, things usually it's at the very end of the evening. Right. We set things up really well. We we don't prefer that they get lit on fire in the process <laughs> and create a distraction. So let's talk about like, what are the key things that you want to have happened at that by that time? And and what are we really looking for in the audience so that we 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 know that that appeal is going to land well? 
Yeah, well, I'll share a few thoughts on that front. So the appeal is the culmination of a lot of things you've done from the first time you communicate with somebody about the event. And so it's in my mind, it's a whole campaign. It's not just an event and it's not just a part of an event. So this is part of this campaign. It's not the end part, but it's an important part, a crucial part, as Kirk was saying. So you want people from that first communication until the moment you begin to specifically invite them to ask you want to reach them intellectually, you want to reach their heart, and you want to also for people of faith, which make up most of our audiences, you want to reach them spiritually as well. And really, there's there's a number of different elements to this. And you know, without going into an entire like, let's walk through the whole program. But a lot of it is make sure to tell the people who and what the ministry is. Just share that. Don't assume, because if you assume you're going to make some big mistakes. And so first of all, telling people who and what the ministry is, what's the mission? Why is that important? What is it you're trying to accomplish? How do you do that? Who do you serve? Where and when do you engage with them? If you can, in your own mind, answer those questions and make sure that those six reporter questions, right? The who, what, when, where, why, how, those all get addressed throughout the messaging prior to the event, the program during the event. But then the other thing that I think is crucial particularly in very short order before you move into the appeal itself, is you have to connect tremendously with the heart through an illustration of the mission in action. And usually that's a testimony, it's a story, and it's one that really takes all of the, the head knowledge of those answers to those questions, and it conveys it to the heart where that person says, okay, now I get it. And they fall in love with the mission and they say, I want to be a part of that. And it's very important to set that appeal up, to have that testimony or to have that story, really not just be a them looking at a person off in a distance, but in my mind, it's for them to see themselves in that story. So if, for example, I'm giving a keynote and I'm going to go right into the appeal and I'm using a story with an emotional hook at the end, something that illustrates the mission in action, I don't want to just tell the story of what happened as emotional as it is without at the end saying, and imagine what it's going to be like for you when you get to see a mother who doesn't have to experience a lifetime of regrets, when you get to hold a child in your arms and realize that child's alive because you were willing to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure. So those things help to set up the appeal. But then when you go into the appeal, knowing that that, as Kirk said, is the most important part of the event, walking very methodically through it, having a process, having a system and not apologizing. Oh my goodness. How many times have we been at events where the person doing the ask, if the, the keynote speaker is not asked to do it, gets up and says, well, you know, this is the part I know you always cringe about. And there's always this sense of apology. It's like, do we believe this mission is important? Do we care about women? Do we care about children? And if so, people should be excited to want to be a part of that. So not apologize and lead right into a strong on fire appeal and not face plant. And that's the key to a successful appeal. Kirk, any thoughts on that as well? No, I think that's exactly right. What we're saying, I go back to Joseph of Arimathea. He made one gift in his lifetime that we know of from, from scripture. And that was to donate his family's, his family's uh, tomb, grave, whatever, for Jesus to be laid. In that one place, the most, the greatest miracle of all time took place. What we're asking people to do is be a Joseph, because in the room of the pregnancy center, amazing miracles take place. Anyone coming into that room, if they see, as David said, they're part of the story. They get to be Joseph in this case. We want to, in different ways, communicate that, because until they connect with, I get to be a part of something great, whether it's, we, we may they may be like the Good Samaritan, and the center is the innkeeper. They're giving so that the innkeeper can take care of the wounded person. Those type of things, when they see themselves, I think it changes the, the dynamic amazingly well. So, and when you say yeah, they I'm, see I'm themselves, totally you're saying the audience, right? They're, right. they're connecting yeah. to the story. So that right. that's really putting them into that. That's really what's important for that moment of the appeal is that they're in the story. Right. That that's happening. They. This is where some of our sometimes our language can be problematic. You know, our I guess our our internal language where we, we are too quick to talk about, I, like one of my challenges is we often, we will say to each other in the pregnancy help movement, the client, well, she's a woman, she's a girl, she's, mm -hmm. you know, she's a person, she's got other titles that will more readily identify for the audience than for us and internally. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, the, like simple things like that, when we can be, you know, she was someone 
you know, a local high school or a college student, like there's more kind of like flavor and context for those kind of labels than there is when we use our, our term of art, the client or the patient, you know, those are, those are very generic terms. So we want those kind of connector terms when we're presenting the ministry. So so that's another question. The, um, what you, you kind of teed us up, Kirk, I'll, I'll start with you. What, what do you want? What have you seen as far as the, the executive director, the CEO, that person that's providing that ministry report? I mean, is it facts and figures? Is it stories? Is it a mix of both? Is it something entirely different? Uh, It is a lot of those things mixed together. There may be a few statistics, but I think the key is not to get weighed down by numbers. It may be to say something like, I could tell you we've seen 1,712 women and men come in our door this year, but those are numbers. That doesn't tell you about Natasha who came in. And so if we can connect that to people, I think that's the key because those in the audience are not as moved by what we're doing or what we have done as they are by the vision we have and where we're going. Who do we want to be in the coming year? How do we want to get there? We want to lay a foundation of what we've done. Absolutely. But then we grow into what we want to be. And I want people to be envisioned and engaged. And that's why I love to talk to directors beforehand because I know David does as well, so that we kind of know what page are you on and where are you going so we can build on what you've already said. Mm-hmm. David? Yeah, I would agree with everything Kirk just said. And you know, when we are sharing these stories, when a director is giving a report, I think back, this is just my own personal anecdote. I think back over my lifetime and I think of all the presentations I've heard, which is thousands and thousands of different types of presentations, which are the ones that I still remember decades later. And every single time it revolves around a story and revolved around emotions I felt as that story was told, whether it was a great speech of Ronald Reagan or whether it was a story that Dr. Martin Luther King told, like even historical speeches, what are, what makes the great ones? It's the emotion and it's the story or the connection to the heart. And so even in the director's report, you can put in the program at your banquet, you can put statistics and reference them. And you have those people who are going to be the intellectual fact people. Great. Make sure you demonstrate that. But then if you also connect, make sure you're hitting both the left and the right brain at the same time, if you connect with the heart and as Kirk said, illustrate each of the major points. So let's say you have several different program areas. So one of those is serving somebody who is facing an unexpected pregnancy. Tell a story that illustrates that in action and where somebody started kind of the before what they went through and then the after. So you're, you're wanting to kind of, why do we look at all these you know fitness ads? They have the before and after. It's because people want to see that story play out. And so same thing if you were doing, let's say your ministry has post-abortive healing and you really work with women who have been through the pain of abortion through various different programs. So if you can have either that person or you tell the story of that person where they were before, the emotions and pains they felt, what they discovered, what they went through and how they came out the other end, those kinds of stories. So, you know, if you're if you're trying to convey, here's what we do, here's the 563 program areas Make sure you illustrate as many of those as you can with a story that fits those elements and make that story use word pictures, really make it come alive because it's not enough to say the client came in and went through this program. That's very sterile. This person came in and they were heartbroken. She was crying. She leaned on my shoulder, tears running down her face. Her makeup was streaming. Create that word picture. Then describe how she transformed throughout that process and then what she was like at the end. And then maybe you show a video or maybe she comes up on the stage, but really try to make those stories come alive. So I think the director no different than the keynote speaker. If they want to work on mastering something, it's how do I take this mission, critical mission? How do we instill the importance of it? There are problems that we solve and here's how we solve them. But then how do I illustrate that and bring it to life? And in so doing, that's where you're going to really light a fire. That's not just the envelope on top of the candle. So that's a, that's a ton of stuff that you just got unpacked for us, both of you. One of those that I heard that I hear often is there's a reference to a program that is a brand branded program, like they either their brand or someone else's brand. And everyone in the, everyone that's actually does the program works on the program is in the center knows exactly what they mean by that term. (laughs) And, but they don't, but they, they don't realize that most of the audience really doesn't know what that, you know, whether this is our bridges program, which is a great name and actually is very evocative of what happens 
but they don't really understand it. So what you're saying is step back from some of the language that we use day to day amongst ourselves and think of the audience member and really put it in those terms as well. And not only think of just the audience member, and I, I think Kirk could probably elaborate on this even more so, think of the brand new audience member who just walked in off the street. Mm -hmm. Just treat it like the entire event is for them. And we think that everybody even knows, maybe you have an amazing origin story. 10 years into 40 Days for Life, I was still telling the origin story of 40 Days for Life because a lot of people hadn't heard it and they didn't know why this began, what it was started for. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to tell your origin story, short, keep it concise, but then treat it like that. You're talking to somebody across a coffee table. We're not talking mm -hmm. to a mass of people. You're talking one-on-one -on -one to one person and you're trying to help them understand what this ministry is about and then to get the heart of it. So yes, absolutely. Not only speak to one person and speak in the terms for the audience, but speak for the newest audience member and everybody else will come along. That's excellent. Um, I, so I was in a, I was speaking at uh, my own banquet years and years ago, and this was a very large event, right? This was a, actually it was a brand new um, uh, hosting event and it was very well done. Very nice. It was called the signature grand. And they, they had an amazing presentation of the food. They actually rolled it out and they distributed. It was one of the most unique experiences. And I've, I've only really seen it in where I was at in South Florida. But what we didn't know was when they did this grand presentation, they started this like either like smoke or haze machines from the top <laughs> of the ceiling. And we happen to have a board member who was a, he was a former fireman and man, he was concerned that the building was, was, was in trouble. And immediately he starts to create this stir. Now, fortunately he was on the board. He was only talking to board members. He wasn't doing what Kirk told about later as far as either burning a, an appeal uh, uh, paper or falling on the stage, but right. he was creating this really real stir. And it did take us all a minute to figure out like, is he right? Or is, what is this? Because we hadn't seen the full production at that point. So there are these moments that the venue itself, we, you know, we can't always plan for. Uh, you had a story about something happening, like a, a something falling down in the middle of it. How do we deal with distractions similar? Uh, how, do, how does a show go on in the midst of a distraction? Oh, well, I think it's really being sensitive to what the distraction is. Uh, I had actually a somber one where everything turned out all right, but they were doing the client story on video and I heard some murmuring in the back of the room. And it turns out somebody had fallen out of their chair, had a medical emergency. And the director turned to me and said, uh, do we keep going? Do we not? And I said, I tell you what, let's do. Go up on the stage, tell them we have a medical emergency. We're going to restart in a few minutes. Let the EMTs get here, which they did. And they took the person out. So you, you have to do that. You have to be very sensitive to the room and different things because we get this show must go on mentality and we got to be careful about that. But then there are the, the crazy things like I've had flooding uh, underneath uh, at a hotel before. And we had to walk around all the things. And I, and I think it's just being sensitive and being on the flight. And remember that everybody in the audience is with us. Mm. They are already with us. And if it's something we can't control we just laugh and we move on. But the best thing we can do is keep from panicking about it. And by the way, going back to my story, I was sitting with the physician who was her treating physician and he was getting updates and he said, she's fine. You can tell everybody every, she's okay while you're up there, which worked out wonderfully well. And uh, hopefully it's the reason we set a record last that night. Who knows? But, um, but I think it's just being sensitive to the people there, uh, reminding ourselves they're with us. We, it sometimes things just go awry and we just have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine one time said he felt there was a missing beatitude that is blessed are the flexible for they shall not get bent out of shape. Amen. And I think oh, I that it. when we deal with events, we're dealing with people, we're dealing with facilities, we're dealing with uncontrollable circumstances. And so just to the best of our ability, try to be flexible, try to be peaceful. There was an instance I was telling Joy all about right before we started recording today, where my family and I were visiting various different 40 Days for Life campaigns all around Australia. And we were asked for me to speak at the New South Wales Right to Life, the Sydney uh, Right to Life organization. And so we get there and there are maybe 300 people very well dressed in the room and it was very beautiful. And so they're starting off the event and then it's time to introduce our guest speaker from the United States, David B. Wright. And so they introduce me. And as I'm walking up to the microphone, 
microphone, there is a disruption in the room. And Kirk, they're not always all with us because there were some protesters Uh that had slipped into the room. So this was one of those rare instances. But these people were dead set on trying to completely derail the rest of the event. There were about five of them, and there was one that stood up first and started yelling, and they had a little plastic battery-powered megaphone, and they had a pink ballet sparkly shoe that they threw at me because they were following the example of somebody who had thrown a shoe at then-President George W. Bush in protest of the Iraq War, and they were showing their disdain for me. And so at that moment, there was a question about what do we do? These people are yelling. They're now running around the room. It's chaos. They're calling for security. But I'm the guy who's now everybody's looking who's saying, how's this going to go? The organizers Mm -hmm. looking to be going, you're from the States. You're probably used to this kind of stuff. I'm like, no, this hasn't even happened to me in the States. But what I did at that moment, because I was thinking that even if they're not all with us, what we do in that moment illustrates who we are. Mm -hmm. And so what I asked is everybody to please join in praying. And since we're mixed, various different faith traditions, we just prayed the Lord's prayer together and then asked people to just spontaneously pray as the situation resolved itself. And it was so beautiful to see these 300 people just together, just saying the Lord's prayer and these people trying to disrupt it. And I think that maybe hopefully some seeds were planted that we're not as bad as they were perceiving us to be. Eventually they were escorted out. And then we went on to the rest of the evening, but we were able to actually use that moment. Um, blessed are flexible, right? Don't get bent out of shape to just illustrate we have a lot of work and there's a lot of people whose hearts are harmed and we have people who need healing. There are people who are fighting against this, but we need to be vigilant and we need to be strong. And look, this kind of thing might happen, but isn't it important enough to protect the lives of children and to protect women? And so it actually turned into a galvanizing moment for the event. So sometimes these moments that happen that can be disruptive, we just pray and ask God, give us the grace to deal with that. But then sometimes those can be leveraged for good um, by just the people's response to look how we navigate these things together. I love that. And and we need to be prepared. It's happened at events. Something like this has happened at events in the States. And I think that is a great, uh, just a great illustration because we never know these days anymore what, what might happen. And I know you've probably had this David Drill myself where somebody's come up beforehand and said, I'll be a security and just know here are the steps that we're going to take if something happens. But what is the step we can take? And that is we are believers. That's what we do. We pray and we reach out because compassion is our way of shifting a culture. And you showed compassion that moment. And I'm like, give me some of that. That's what we need to have. And I still have that pink sparkly shoe in my office and I treasure it. It reminds me we are going to be persecuted in the work we do, but blessed are though you when they insult and persecute you, right? That's part of the journey. Amen. Okay. So here, the question is, um, what are some of the most powerful moments that you've experienced that was part either, either set up by or somewhat intentional? Like what was, what are some of the most powerful moments that you've seen that have been a been at an event where you've been a keynote either happened before or after you were speaking? You know, I, what immediately comes to mind is the after, because I always, for every event, I never treat it as this is a rote presentation. It's going to be the exact same. I certainly use certain stories different times, but I always pray and ask the Holy spirit to guide me in what he wants me to share based on who's going to be in the room. And so many times something I wasn't even planning to share, but maybe last minute or maybe on the plane ride there just really was on my heart. And I shared and somebody would come up to me afterwards. An example of this just happened a few days ago. I was speaking in Wabash, Indiana for a pregnancy center. I think Kirk had spoken there just recently. And um, I felt led to share a story of an experience I had at a former abortion center that was in a former church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where Life International is now headquartered. And I just shared the story of my experience there and just how profoundly that had impacted me to realize this is life and death and what happens here. And I went home from the event. And just a couple of days ago, I get a package from Ambassador Speakers Bureau that they had received from somebody who was at the event and they forwarded it on to me. And it was a lady who said 37 years ago, she had an abortion in Grand Rapids. And she wrote me this five page handwritten letter about her experience and just how that night, that story, and she felt the Holy Spirit was saying Grand Rapids really propelled her to say, you know, I've got to begin my healing journey and I really want to get involved in pro-life work. And she shared some of her thoughts on that, but you just never know what seeds are being planted 
And that's why I always encourage not only myself, but anybody involved is let's pray, let's ask God's guidance, and let's let the Holy Spirit direct us because he's doing work that we can't even imagine. And those stories, the people who come up to us after events or the the mail that we get really demonstrates the profound life-changing impact we have, not only on the clients that we serve through Pregnancy Help Ministry, but even the people who are in that very room. Excellent. Kirk? That's that's amazing. I I, two client stories come to mind, Jarrell and David. I, one, I was in Pennsylvania, and uh, we're running a little bit behind. And I don't know about David or you, Jarrell, but I sometimes when we're behind, I'm starting to think, okay, I need to cut back on what I'm going to say. What do I need to do? And then the client says something in her story that just stunned me. I'm like, oh, no, here we go. She said, I know I've only got this amount of time, but I've got to tell people this. And I thought, uh-oh, we're going to run even further over. So I'm still looking at my watch. And she says, if it weren't for this ministry, I would be dead today. Mm-hmm. I came into the center planning suicide later that day. I was going to do my pregnancy test, but I was going, I knew how I was going to do it. But because of them, and she walked through the whole thing, I am alive today. And I thought, I don't even need to talk anymore because that was the entire event to me. All I need to do is build on what she just said, because I mean, that that's why we're here. Uh, and then I looked at, I think of another event. Uh, the, one of the very first clients is their 30th anniversary in California, 30th anniversary. And they had one of their first two or three clients speaking. And she said, I came to the center 30 years ago and I was broken, hurting, just like David had said. It was great client story. And she says, I did not know how I was going to carry this child to term. And then I look for my other from I look back out in the audience and this young man, about 30 years old, gets up in his Marine dress blues and begins to make his way toward the stage. And he steps up onto that stage and and I'm like, oh, my goodness, my mascara is running the whole deal, you know, but uh, <laughs> he, he is he steps up on that stage and he thanks his mom for giving him life. And he says, I've had the honor of serving my country in Iraq, Afghanistan and all over the world. And he said, I'm about to retire from the military. While I was in in the Marines, I gained my degree from University of Southern California in something like aerospace, aeronautical, rocket making, you know, some amazing curriculum. And he says, I look forward to serving my country in that capacity now. And I want to thank every one of you in this room for making it possible for me to be here today. And I thought, I'm done. I mean, that is just those moments when you see, and, and, and I encourage us to look back on our history mm-hmm. as a center because those little babies grow up. Mm-hmm. And when those little babies grow up, there are some amazing stories to tell of what God has done in their lives. And I'm like that again, those are two nights that, uh, and you guys have been there too. I didn't have to do really anything. Just don't <laughs> fall off the stage or catch fire and, and it's going to be a good night. So, Amen. I would agree. Um, that's one of the things that, we're often talking about stories about babies and moms, which is totally appropriate, for, particularly sure. for pregnancy centers or maternity homes. Um, but there are lifetimes. You know, th- there's a life mm-hmm. ahead. And when we can, particularly as more and more, um, the movement is maturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are new centers. There are you know ones we've been able to help some open here in the last few years. Um, but there are those that are reaching now like 50 years you know, that, that it used to be like, we would, we would give out 25 year anniversary, uh, awards during our conference for those that were in attendance. And, um, we didn't have any 50 year old centers until recently where, uh, since we know that the first pregnancy center release was 1968. Wow. Um, but we've been able to now see that those numbers starting to grow. There's, there was one and now there's two, maybe three. And the, the 25 year anniversary gifts are growing as well. And so more and more ministries are having, and, and we're now talking about like 25 years and 50 years are those that's two generations yeah. like that. That's potentially not just that grown up Marine that's retiring, but it's also, you know, that's a, that's a possibly a dad or, and then, and then at some point at 50, it's, you know, there's a, you could have someone who's now dealing with a second generation and all of those things would be, would not be real if not for the effect that the pregnancy center, you know, being in the shoes of that center in its early days. So I think that's a really good reminder, Kirk, uh, for that um, kind of clarity to understand that it's not just, it is what is happening now. And, right. you know, I'm always mindful of, hey, what we're talking about are the things that happened last year. 
you know, but what we're talking about now tonight is what needs to happen in the year to come, you know, mm-hmm. because center needs to open next week. It needs to open the week after so that mo- other moms, like the one you just heard about can receive that blessing. That to me is the transition to more of them entering into the story. Now, how are they a part of that? Right. Um, but when it comes to, let, let's talk about some other, just some other banquet elements that, uh, that you've seen music. Like, have you seen it used it effectively? Have you seen it where you thought mm, maybe that wasn't our best move? Mm-hmm. So I personally lean towards the more clean, concise banquet because what are people there for? They're there to learn about this ministry and they're there to find out what's needed and how they can help. So anything that distracts from that, potentially you could lose people's attention or you could even lose them being in the room. With that said, I think there are times and places. So I typically will do a two-part appeal where I'll make an appeal for a one-time gift. We'll pray over it. People will fill out that part of the form or that form, and then they'll have maybe a minute and a half to respond. If some sort of music can come on there, I think that's very good because it's very reflective and it just helps them to just get in the mood and get uh, in conversation with God, who ultimately is who I want to move their heart, not me. And then secondly, if I ask them for then a pledge of ongoing monthly support, they'll have a little less time, maybe 30 to 60 seconds, a little music there. If instead you're talking about yeah, background background music, music. right? So can there be times where an artist gets up and maybe sings a song? Yes. But I would be very selective about that because you don't want people critiquing the artist just because, well, it's my nephew, it's my aunt's best friend. Um, That doesn't mean it's good music and that will actually add to the program. So make sure you know what you're getting. And I would keep it relatively minimal unless, you know, if you have some unbelievably gifted artist who has a song that's unbelievably good and they're willing to share it. That's great. I was just an event in St. Louis this past weekend, a thousand people in the room and they had a woman and a man sing a song. And the man was kind of a, like one of the tenors, one of these very operatic voices and the woman, I mean, it was divine and it was absolutely beautiful. And they sang while they were inviting all of the mothers and children who this year, the the center has held Mm -hmm. up on the stage. And it was, uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, but you have to just be very selective of it Mm -hmm. and just be very cautious. That's my experience, my opinion, but Kirk may have a very different opinion. He may want to sing during his appeal. Well, yeah, that's what I always do. I sing. I've got a whole bunch of songs. No, no, I'm totally with you. I think an instrumental song during the appeal is great. I do have some cautions about just just as you stated about music in the program, because we've got a wide range of audience here. You've got some who love Christian contemporary music, some who are like, I don't like that stuff at all. If it's not a hymn, I don't like we, we're all over the map. And so we do have to be careful and cognizant of our audience and the differences they have in musical tastes. So uh, what you just described is just perfect. The the couple singing, and I actually had a song a few weeks ago that a guy wrote for the center. And sometimes I'm a little nervous about those songs because a pro-life song could be a great pro-life song. And then some can be kind of cringy to me, just personally speaking. This was an amazing song. And I told him, I said, you need to record this. He and his wife sang it. It was one of those very positive, very upbeat about children and parents and those kind of things. And, I, and it was just beautiful. Uh, but we do have to be selective. And we only have, and I don't mean to drag this out too much, Drill, but the way I figure it, in a two-hour banquet, once you get out of din- our intro, our dinner, and then our closing, you have 72 minutes for the program. And if a speaker like David, you, or myself speaks for 35 minutes and the appeal is about 10 minutes, that takes that 72 minutes down to 27 for the ministry to present itself. And you've got to use that 27 minutes wisely. Does a song fit in there? Perhaps, but that's all we got. We got 27 minutes or we're going to begin to lose our audience at two hours. They're going to begin to get a little antsy. They still love us, but they get distracted. So we have to be careful. You'd be fine with like the music and the, the quartet in the corner during dinner kind of thing. Oh, like sure. That, like that, the harp that, music and the yeah. entryway. Oh, oh, yeah. All of that. It's very, it's in, depending on how classy you're trying to if be. If Jor-El does some rapping, I mean, whatever. I mean, that we, would be yeah. dangerous. Yes, that would be dangerous. Um, okay. So that, that's a, that's a great, I, I always, from a music perspective, like one of the challenges I have is making sure that you're like you saying is select the right person. Right. Sometimes 
you know, these are, these are talented people in their own right, but they have the sense of the stage is theirs. And then they also want to talk and I'm like, Oh, please just sing. You know, I, I, there's a story there, but usually it's, I would do it as like filling in other things. Like we're entering in, we're starting where we're, you know, things, other things are happening. And sometimes the musician is thinking that they're there um, that so that everyone would hear them. And right. that that's not always how at least I would use the music. I use it more as a transition tool mm-hmm. to bring people out of dinner. Um, uh, but only always in a very, a very sensitive way, exactly the way that you guys have described. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the way that helps move the event along, right. not be necessarily becomes the focal point, which I think is some of the things that you guys were describing right. that you've seen done to great effect. And it right. can be, right. uh, if it's well, handled well, I'll give one more example to great effect. Um, Jana Pinson in Corpus Christi, Texas runs an amazing pregnancy center there. And one year I was going and they had something like 1400 people at the convention center, huge, beautiful event. And she told me we were going to have have this song. And I was like, Oh, here we go. You know, it could be challenging, but what they did is it was very intentional. So one of the ways they demonstrated proof of mission is they had lit candles brought up for all the children and mothers that they've helped. And with that large of a center with multiple offices, it's very, very visually compelling, Mm -hmm. but the music, they had the song performed and they had practiced this all in advance and they bring it up. It was very intentional and it was a way that they brought people into the story. So it wasn't just an add on. It was very much a part of the program. So that's the thing I'd say just to Kirk's point of, and he's done more math than I have. I'd never did the adding up of the number 27. 72 minutes. Wow. That's impressive. Now I, I got to cut my talk down because I'm cutting into there. I'm giving them only 26 minutes. Uh, but I think that every element of the program, you have to be ruthless and say, does this advance the bringing people into the story, into the mission, into the heart of this to where it moves them to want to be a part of it. If not, Hey, do that at a different event, but at your banquet, make sure everything is there for a reason. And it continues to guide people. You're taking them kind of on a hero's journey from beginning to end to get them to the end to say, I want to be a hero for mothers, for children, and to help this ministry impact, not just the lives of those being served this year, but generations to come, like what Kirk was talking about. Okay. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you like, what's the number one nugget that we haven't talked about that you want to share with everybody. Then we're going to talk about uh, some of the things that you guys have that is available that really walks through more of this. We've just skimmed along the surface and maybe, you know, gone a a little bit of deep in just a couple of topics, but this is a huge thing. And there's hundreds and hundreds of banquets every year. I think at least I know that's what Kirk tells me. He speaks at hundreds and hundreds of banquets every year. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't know how he does that. There's only so many days in the year, but anyway, the, the, what, what I want to get a sense of is uh, what you were saying is, is, remember why we're here. What is that number one thing that we're trying to accomplish? For the audience member or for, for the, for the for mission the and for the ministry? Mm-hmm. Isn't it, isn't it, aren't we there to raise funds? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what was it uh, when he was the coach of the LA Lakers, Pat Riley used to say the main thing to remember is to keep the main thing, the main thing, a fundraising banquet. The main thing is you're there to raise funds. Now, in the process, do you want to move people spiritually to pray and to to trust God? Yes. Do you want them to feel compelled and excited and maybe to get them to volunteer and do other things? Absolutely. But fundamentally, if you're holding a fundraising banquet, you're doing it to raise funds. So yes, that's the main thing. But sometimes those other things can be a distraction. Like if you're, like for instance, I would say even on the pledge form or whatever, right. I know at our banquets, uh, at my the center I was at, we were very streamlined. It was, yeah. that really like there's only two things that you could answer two questions you can answer here's how i'm going to give and you know here's the amount right and then there's this maybe this little checkbox of how i might be a a table host at a future event if right. we if we treated the table host well enough we w- we should have people stepping up and saying i would like to do that for my uh, uh friend sphere in the future whether that's my church that's not represented here or more of my friends so those are like the only two things the idea of volunteering the idea that oh by the way in a couple months we're going to do baby bottles and they later on we're going to do it. like there, there to me there's there's a sense of we need to let the night be the night kirk would you agree with that absolutely i think that's the key and we do on those forms sometimes i've seen i would like to more information about volunteering i'd like to be a prayer partner for the ministry there is a place for that but not on the pledge form in my view i believe that's something that the mc can come up and talk about after we've taken up the funds and says In the back, if you go out in the lobby, we've got a couple of tables set up. If you'd like to know more about being a part of this or that, then this will be a great opportunity to do that. Yes, there are going to be people who want to get involved. We want to celebrate that. But it is not an educational dinner. 
It is not a let's get more credibility for the ministry dinner. It is a fundraising dinner. And I think we all ought to have goals and objectives coming in. We want to know this is how many people we want. We want people motivated to give who are coming and are able to give. That goes back to who do we want in our audience? We want adults with the capacity to give, not talking about the 10 richest people we know, but people with some capacity to give. And uh, we want to engage with them and encourage them and show them the path, the hero's journey, as David said so well. And so uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, David. I completely agree with everything you just said. And if I could, uh, you asked for like one little tip that we hadn't say. Can I just yeah, throw one in here? Yeah. So this is something that I, I I think I have kind of a marketing mind. And I mentioned earlier the idea of treat the event as a campaign rather than just an event. And I think a huge missed opportunity at many events is what happens after the event. Mm -hmm. And by that, I'm not just talking the anecdotal conversations. But if you think about it, if you're a center, no matter how good the date you pick, there are going to people be people who can't come. So number one, remember that. Number two, they're going to be people who came, but for whatever reason didn't give. Maybe their spouse wasn't with them. They want to talk to them. They're going to be people who really need to reflect and think about what went on. So if you stop with the event, you've literally minimized your opportunities for giving. So I tested this theory. I'm on the board of a maternity ministry in Fredericksburg, Virginia called Mary Shelter. And I really wanted to see, could we maximize what happens after the event? So certainly we thank those who came and we thank them and send notes and give them the right receipts for what they're giving and so forth. But I looked at it and said, is there a way to tap into all those people who have not yet given, but may have gotten caught up in the spirit of, wow, that sounded like a great event. I couldn't be there or I was there, but I wasn't ready to give. And so we actually devised a week-long campaign. We did it all by email, so there was no additional cost, where we had two donors who were willing to put up a matching challenge mm -hmm. for anybody who wasn't able to give at the event. And so they put together $30,000, which that was remarkable. But it was two people who had both been sick and they couldn't attend. And so they were like, well, here's a way that I can give and it can help multiply and give back. So we sent out a series of messages similar to some of the kinds of events Kirk and I and many others did during COVID where we sent out, hey, for those who weren't there or if you were there, uh, we still are have needs to meet for this ministry to be able to accomplish its mission. Here's some of the stories. We also use video clips from the event to help unpack and retell the story for those who weren't there or bring people back who were there. And over that next week, not only did we match the 30,000, we hit another 20,000, raised $80,000 after the event closed its doors and everybody went home. And so just don't hesitate to think about what are opportunities that we're not taking advantage of? What are ways to reach people? There are people who love your ministry. There are people who care about your mission. How do we invite them into the story, whether they were in the room or not? And by doing that, you're bringing your whole community together and you're taking your mission to a whole new level. So that's just one example of just trying some innovative things, be willing to try something and see what it can do to help advance your center. But also some like regular blocking and tackling, like the idea of following up on pledges, you know, doing that well, yeah, restating the story, reminding people. I always find it, if you've done a good job, like you were saying, that hero's journey, if you've really uh, had a great story, uh, they, there was this memorable, you know, ooh or ah moment when, you know, little Tommy toddler came out and like, yay, we all, we all celebrate that. Then it's important to remind them later about Tommy. That's right. You know, and Tammy, his mom, right. Or whoever the, the idea of like bringing the emotion of that, of that event back to them in their, you know, in our communications that follow up. And even strategically thinking about not that you were talking about the renewals, but when you are at the event, if you're doing as Kirk does an amazing appeal, people are giving a one-time gift as well as a monthly pledge over time, you can get to the point where if you maintain that relationship, if you carry those stories forward for those who have pledged, you can have 70 to 80% of your budget on monthly giving. And that way the event is just gravy and icing on top of that. So continue to think strategically, what do we need to accomplish our mission? Invite people into that, tell them a compelling story on the front end, and then help them to see that their investment is making a life-saving and kingdom building difference. And you'll have fans for life. And that, that's the difference between having an event versus really uh, developing and cultivating a donor base, right? The, yeah. the, it really fits better. Kirk, uh, one thing that you wanted to, to, to highlight that we didn't cover. That was amazing, David. And, and I, I think we ought to be getting that out to as many people as we can, because there is also a little movement I'm seeing in pregnancy help, which is, well, banquets aren't that effective anymore. And so what we're doing is we're doing this instead, maybe small groups and homes, which I would absolutely say, let's do it. Uh, we're going to meet with our major donors more. I'd say let's do it. 
But the amazing thing about a banquet is, is people are saying, well, you know, we want to reach major donors. Banquets identify our major donors because they come in and they write that check for twenty five hundred or a thousand. We go, where'd that come from? But that is not the biggest check they can give. They can do so much more. The banquet identifies it. And then over the coming year, I love your follow up idea. But over the coming year, we can sit down with them, build relationships with them. And in the years to come, that person may not come to your banquet again, but they're beholden to you. They're engaged with you to the point that when you have a major need, you can go to them and they can give, if they gave 2,500 at a banquet, my guess is they can give at least five times that and maybe 10 times that if asked one-on-one. So I would tell people who are thinking, well, I don't know if banquets are that good. They're identifying your major givers and they're identifying, they're bringing in monthly donors who, as you build a relationship, as you said, can give you 50, 60, 70, 80% of your budget. So I would encourage people, we need to keep doing these. We're going to find people we couldn't find other ways and continue to grow them. And the secret is to have Kirk Walden as your speaker. So if you've not had Kirk come speak (laughs) at your banquet, book him today at Ambassador Speakers Bureau. I'm not getting paid anything for saying this. I love this man. Oh, David and I. Both of these are excellent speakers. They've really been a blessing and um, uh, servants to the pregnancy help movement and the pro-life movement at large. I know, David, you've done a lot more of that kind of speaking, uh, as well as pregnancy center and pregnancy help organizations. Okay, uh, one last thought. Uh, Anything that you want to, well, one, let's let's do this. Let's, um, Kirk, you've helped us here at Heartbeat Right. you know, really a manual that covers a lot of this territory and a whole lot more. Uh, talk about that for a moment. And then David, I know you have some stuff as well. Well, we've, we've written banquet planning from scratch, a recipe for success that kind of takes you through the planning process and all of that, which kind of takes some ideas from David's banquet success, which you've created and uh, so many webinars and things that he has done. And we're trying to put it all together, but but I think that's the thing is be looking. My, my encouragement would be look for training in this area. And there's so many people, as David's going to mention here, and, you know, you talk about being a fan of mine, man, you wouldn't, I just, I love your heart and you bring the heart to this. And I love that so much. Um, but I think I would encourage people look for training from different sources and then say what fits for me and always be looking to grow that event. So those are that's the thing that jumps out at me as much so as anything. That's an excellent point. And I would say that even, and maybe especially of those who have inherited an event, you know, <laughs> basically they, they were the yeah. ones hired to come in and pick up from where someone else left off. Right. So they don't always know why things are done a certain way they, because they were just told to do it this way. And then they've, they've been off and they've done a good job of moving it from the old person to now they're they're into their hands. Mm-hmm. But it's always good to get other kind of perspectives on it to say, how can we re- refine this process? How can we eliminate some things? I like what the term you used earlier, make it cleaner, simpler, more streamlined to get to be, to be more effective. Mm-hmm. So David, you have, and you produced a great resource here a few years ago before yeah. COVID. Yeah. Uh, and it really was powerful. I know I grabbed some stuff from it that I carry around with me as well. Okay. So I did a training. I originally did it, uh, an earlier iteration of it after speaking for a pregnancy center in Pennsylvania, where the director, Karen Pennell, had taught me this crazy idea of dividing the ask up into two separate parts because we need one-time gifts and we need monthly pledges. And instead of treating it like a Scantron where you choose one or the other, why don't we ask each one as an individual decision rather than an either or? So I went home and tried it in my own organization. We doubled our income that year. And so I just started sharing with people look what's happening. So I did a training of that. I packaged up into a a more comprehensive banquet training that I had done a few years back, but I really felt that a lot of centers, particularly, this is one of the weak links. It's how do we actually ask for money? It's hard, but it's a skill that's so important. It's that 12 to 10 to 12 minutes of your event can literally make or break whether you have to spend the rest of the year chasing people for money or whether you can focus on your mission. So if there's one skill to master related to a banquet, well, get really good at how you ask for money. And as much as when I come in and Kirk comes in, we can do an ask. But if you don't have a Kirk coming in next year, Who's going to do that? What if you have a speaker who just, I don't do that, or they're not very good at it. You want to, over time, really build that skill into your organization. 
So I did a more recent version of the training. We called it the art of the ask. And it was basically a 75 minute training that walks through every step of the process that I've used to raise more than $90 million for pro-life groups and through events, through this two-part asking process. And it gives the script, it gives the template, it gives everything. And to Kirk's point, don't feel that, oh, I have to follow David's system or I have to follow somebody else's system. Take it, look at it and say, is it worth a try? Is it worth implementing this, seeing how it works, and then adjusting it, making it fit your center. Um, I've heard reports of collectively millions of dollars beyond the events that I've done that people have raised using this approach. And so I hope it's a blessing. It's free. There's absolutely no catch attached to it. It's a video training and it's got all the resources attached to it. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes that people can access it if they want. And then if you've got questions, I'm sure they'll be able to track me down and, and ask questions. But the thing I love, Kirk, about you and the reason I we always get together on these calls is I love the opportunity we have to be able to share from a perspective of, you know, I've been to over a thousand cities speaking in all 50 states multiple times and dozens of countries. I get a vantage point that most people don't have. And so I'm able to then take some of that, distill it down and share it. And Kirk does the exact same. And Joel and everybody at Heartbeat, I, I so appreciate and love what y'all do because you take what people are doing and you share it with others. And I think if all of us treat it as this rising tide that can lift all ships, I think each of our individual organizations, banquets will thrive, our missions will thrive, more lives will be saved, and ultimately we'll be building a renewed culture of life across our nation and around the world. And that fills me with joy and hope. Amen and amen. And that's one of the reasons why I book early and book get David and Kirk now. <laughs> Call ambassador, line them up. What no matter where, you know, if you have to reach into the schedule 24, 25, 26, grab them. You want their you want them at your event. And so hey, thanks guys. Always a joy to, to be around you. Grateful for other other guys that are in this work and uh, especially folks that are making such an impact. So appreciative of, of you both. It's an honor to be here. Nice to be here today. I had a lot of fun. I just love John with you too. And and uh, it's just a, a great respite from the from the busy days. This has been a, a great time. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks, yeah, David. Thank you all. And uh, we'll be praying for you guys if you have your events tonight. And I know you're all off traveling the world again after this. So uh, blessings on all of your, your future speaking engagements that you have coming up. So like you said, I'll have both of those links for the banquet planning from scratch manual and uh, David's The Art of the Ask videos uh, in the show notes, as well as some highlights from the episode, um, some takeaways that uh, you can make note of and, and share with your banquet planning team. So with that, uh, subscribe to the Pregnancy Help Podcast to get notifications on future episodes. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast. Thank you.